Good evening and good morning, Los Angeles. Welcome back to another episode of the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher, and I'm in studio with you for the next hour, and I'm alongside my good friend, Daniel Adrian. How you doing, Daniel? I'm very blessed to be here. Thank you for asking. Daniel is a regular contributor to the show in studio here. We're thankful to have him on tonight. A little bit of housekeeping. We just want to Remind all you listeners, Apologetics.com is a ministry dedicated to challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe. We are an apologetics ministry here to answer your questions about the Bible, you know, ethics, culture, anything that might be on your mind uh, related to religion, uh, knowing God, um, not knowing God. And our website is actually undergoing a bit of a makeover and an upgrade at the moment. So you might, if you go browse there. You might find some under construction sites, but we should have that up and running uh, fairly soon with lots of new content and a whole new look and uh, just an easier way to get in touch with us. And we would also like to just say that uh, we are very blessed and thankful for God's faithfulness to this ministry over the past 20 years. We've really been on the air Friday at midnight since around the year 2000 when Harry Edwards started this show as part of his master's thesis project and kept it going ever since. And we would appreciate it if you want to donate. We are listener-supported. And, you know, I've been a host here since 2016, 2017 time frame, and we've actually seen a number of shows kind of come and go in the time slots before us and the time slots behind us, you know, different people over the years. But God has just been faithful to carry us along and provide for us and keep us on the air, just bringing apologetic content from, you know, more or less lay people in the church. None of us are professional, paid apologists. Most of us have our own careers and vocations And we just love God, we love His Word, and we love getting it out to the people around us. We love the idea of equipping Christians to better understand and handle the Word of God to to grow in their maturity, as we are doing (laughs) alongside you. We are by no means arrived at that by any means, Um, but we just wanted to thank God. And if you would like to donate, go to apologetics.com and just click on... uh, give and you'll be taken to a place where you can just give whether it's five ten a hundred five hundred dollars whatever you feel led to give we would uh, gratefully appreciate that and we thank you in advance we are also sponsored this particular show this week by branch of hope orthodox presbyterian church in torrance under pastor paul vigiano we meet at 10 a.m on sundays Again, in the city of Torrance, uh, near the streets of Carson and Crenshaw. So we'd love for you to come visit. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at jason at apologetics.com if you ever have any questions or comments about the show. Or we'd love for you to call in. We actually love engaging with our listeners. You know, we are here uh, to to engage with you, to share with you um, this content, and you could reach us Live right now at triple eight ninety nine five KKLA. That's triple eight ninety nine five 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 two. We'd also like to let you know about an upcoming apologetics conference at the Branch of Hope Church. 
It'll be next Saturday at 9 a.m., July 17th. The topic is Foundations for Hope and Optimistic Eschatology. And so we're going to have five lectures dealing with um, optimism and pessimism in the Old and New Testaments. Uh, We're going to talk about the failure of man-centered religion and government, and we're going to talk about uh, the history of Christianity and the beneficial impact on culture. And we're we're coming at that topic um, from um, an optimistic perspective, basically with the perspective that God's kingdom is going to advance, it's going to prosper from now until the second advent of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, that God's kingdom will expand and evil will progressively be conquered through God's word, through the preaching of the gospel, and through his people um, discipling the nations. Daniel, any comments? Yeah. The Great Commission will be fulfilled uh, before the second coming. And uh, I would say that one of the things that really stuck out to me and still kind of does, even though I've heard it a lot, is in Psalm 2, when the father says to the son, ask of me and I'll give you the inheritance of the nations. The question that was asked rhetorically, of course, is do you really think Jesus forgot to ask? Mm. And I, you know, you see the nations being given along with everything else, all power and dominion and authority given uh, as he comes to the ancient of days in Daniel. So I think that would be probably a strong candidate for when he did ask for his inheritance. But yeah, we see the progressive outworking uh, of that through time and space here on earth. And apologetics.com is geared towards a huge component of that. It's really hard to do evangelism without apologetics. Uh, you know, you, you, a lot of times when you're witnessing, when you're sharing your faith with people, they challenge your faith or they have questions about your faith and boom, you're right there doing apologetics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a natural outworking of evangelism. Um, our topic tonight that we wanted to bring to you guys is a book review of sorts. It's, uh, a book called urban apologetics. It was written by, or actually not written solely by, Dr. Eric Mason, but he was the general editor. It's uh, an apologetics book, and it's uh, Urban Apologetics, Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. Uh, The general editor was Eric Mason. He's the pastor of Epiphany Church in Philadelphia, and it's really a conglomeration of several contributors. Um, Some are pastors. Some are laymen. Uh, some are PhD um, professors, um, students, and whatnot. And so Daniel and I wanted to unpack that because we I came across this book a few weeks ago or a couple months ago now because I am connected to the Epiphany Los Angeles family indirectly. We have supported uh, some great friends of ours, uh, Tommy Forrester and his wife Fatima, they actually planted Epiphany Church Los Angeles probably five, five, six years ago. Oh, wow. And so we are in the email kind of world of Epiphany Churches. And Dr. Eric Mason, the founder of Epiphany Church, uh, edited this, this apologetic book. And we thought it was a worthwhile 
to dig into it and discuss it and bring some of the content to you guys. So, um, again, it's Urban Apologetics, Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. So just to kick it off, I wanted to see Daniel just top-level, kind of bird's-eye view. What were your overall thoughts of this book as you read through it recently? Well, I think he he did the most important part, which is he the problem he diagnoses, he gives you the actual cure for. Wherever dignity is lost, the only hope for its restoration is from Christ and his gospel. Um, the missio dei, right, the mission of God, is the reconciling of all things. Hmm. That's what he's doing. He's reconciling all things to himself in Christ. And so... People can twist that. I mean, every verse, right? John three sixteen is a good parallel for this, and that gets twisted as well. But, <laughs> but what we mean by that is something bigger than easy believism or a mere profession of faith, right? Verbal words that you say. We mean a transformed life. We we mean a gospel informed and law informed life. And so, what this book does a really good job of is saying there's a from our perspective as contributors, there's a crisis of black dignity, and the only hope for that is through the gospel. And then not only that, he gets a huge component of it correct, he and the contributors, which is he says it has to be biblical. You know, you need to be biblically literate. Uh, you need to know your Bible as well as Peyton Manning new playbooks, mm. right? That's what made Peyton Manning yeah. the Hall of Famer is the example he uses, which I think, you know, is pretty compelling as an example for a lot of our football friends out there, American mm-hmm. throwball fans. <laughs> so I uh, I really liked that. Like, you should be extremely biblical in everything you do with this. Uh, so he gets a lot right. There are some mm-hmm. things that, you know, I wasn't as big of a fan of. I, sp- I say he, but all of the authors. But um, I think when you look at maybe two of the most vital or most essential parts of the book nails it. And then I was telling you as we prepped for this, as we were talking this over, the book does something that's really hard to do, which is it does what it is teaching at the same time while you read it. So it's doing urban apologetics while you're reading it, Mm -hmm. um, which is extremely useful Mm -hmm. pedagogically, right? For teaching that really Mm -hmm. helps you. Because you can see, oh, I'm a, I know how to take this to the streets already. I'm I'm excited to get out there and, and do this because yeah. I've seen it modeled. Well, read it modeled. I've read it, you know, proclaimed mm-hmm. very clearly. So I thought a lot of the chapters were well-written and strong, some better than others, again. Um, and yeah, you, you're sort of learning as you go if, if this is new yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I found myself learning a ton as I read through this book and— um, you know, becoming an urban apologist of sorts and actually watching it um, kind of unfold through this book, um, how to do it as well as it was, you know, actually being done to me as I was reading it, um, giving me answers. And what I what I kind of took away from the book was, you know, the importance, like like it is with any person we're trying to reach, like when if you have a Mormon knock on your door, right, And you set up a time, maybe you're going to meet with them, come back. They're going to come back in a week or so. And you will spend that week preparing. You're going to look into some of what the Mormons teach. You're going to look 
into what the Bible has to say about their doctrines. You're going to get some apologetic arguments together, and you're going to want to share the true gospel with them, right? Well, the same is true when we're talking to an African-American, a black person in America, but we don't look at them like that. And what this book kind of opens up is this truth that there is an entire history, an entire context, an entire culture, an entire mindset that has been, uh, you know, in one, one way or another placed into the minds of black Americans in how they view Christianity and how they view the Bible, God, Jesus, etc. And it's important if you want to talk to them in a meaningful way and share the gospel with them to understand some of that context so that you can speak to those areas of meaning and purpose and value and dignity um, with the gospel truth, you know, with uh, the bomb, the healing power of the gospel because there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain, you know, for whatever reason. And this book kind of helps unpack a lot of that and help, you know, the average Christian, you know, evangelical Christian to to kind of to open their, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit and see some of that so that you can be more effective as an apologist, as an evangelist, as a witness, you know, to these people. Well, you get a million mile an hour tour of black spirituality and mm. the black and the history of the black church. And so one of the things that I, I'm hoping a lot of people will come away from is this is not and I, I'm not saying this was your example of the, you're not likening them to Mormons spiritually, but right. this is not an unchurched or an unreached people group. Right. This is this is a group of people who are steeped in a profound American tradition of Christianity. And then it has all of its problems, like every church tradition does. And then on top of that, they've got everything else going on. So everything that we think of now, you know, what's been dominating uh, our thoughts in terms of wanting to be loving towards our black brothers and sisters, wanting to reach the lost who are black. Uh, and I think that's this is where this book, the timing of this book is exquisite, right? A lot oh, of people yeah. are really going to sure. crack it open. And yeah. when, one of the things, this is one of the things that we as the church need to repent of. I think why it's difficult for us to think of them missiologically is because we have this uh, Enlightenment era missiology, which is rooted in British hegemony, right? It's, it's, it's rooted in a British empire that no longer exists. So the church needs to take that out, those of us who still have it, and replace that with a biblical missiology, a biblical view of missions, where you're not engaging in white saviorism, which is something else we need to repent of, but you're actually trying to reach these people as people, mm -hmm. and you are trying to show that the only source of dignity for anyone, for me, for them, for other people in the on the block, other people in the neighborhood, whatever, wherever, is the gospel, is Christ and his word, mm -hmm. is the law implemented as the supreme standard of conduct, right? We're not going to other sources for it, irrespective of creed, color, race, whatever that is, religion. I mean, religion, obviously, that's where it really comes down to brass tacks, but 
yeah, it's it's a it's a real um, eye opener because it's like, oh, well, there's a whole, you know, like I said, deep, theologically rich, long standing tradition that we have to grapple with. Mm-hmm. Kind of like when I talk to Baptists. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, and it's important. I think some of this book, as you pick it up and read it, and we encourage you to read it, we're endorsing it. I think it's a good, important read for all Christians. Um, that you know, some of this book is is novel um, to because we haven't heard it much. It's not novel per se, like some new doctrine or something. Um, maybe novel in its application uh, for a lot of people. And other areas of it are pretty foundational, pretty basic, kind of apologetics 101, you know, uh, worldviews. It it goes through some arguments for the existence of God, you know, the basic cosmological necessity, contingency. Talks about, you know, the laws of logic, how to basically assess a person's worldviews, coherence through looking at the law of non-contradiction or the law of excluded middle or the law of identity. So as let's let's unpack it a little bit. There's a lot of ground to cover. This book is a, a thick read. It's broken into three parts. Uh, part one is this context for urban apologetics, which is a lot of the history, the background, kind of the, the why is this necessary, which we'll unpack a bit. Uh, part two is gets into these religious and ethnic identity groups. The Nation of Islam, the Hebrew Israelites, Kemeticism, um, black women, and feminism. And we're not going to spend much time in those. Those are an entire show or more trying to unpack Hebrew Israelites or Kemeticism or the Nation of Islam. Uh, But it does dive into those in a chapter way. It's not an entire book on those topics, but it's, it's, it's a thick chapter, good to give you a good background and idea of what those are all about. And then part three is more practical application. You know, how do we engage, you know, the black community? How do we refute black atheism, you know, uh, lifestyle apologetics? So we're going to kind of just walk through it, give our thoughts, comments, pros, cons, you know, what we think was great, what we think might have been a little better, things like that. Um, So jumping right in, you know, part one, chapter one is Restoring Black Dignity. And that was written by Pastor Eric Mason. And he basically says when we refer to dignity, we're talking about the God-invested value. He said dignity has many layers, and Christians believe that our dignity and value is rooted in God's creation of mankind and his purpose for his creation. And so he's touching on something essential there when it comes to dignity for all people. Yeah, and this is where we need to be really clear that Christians are the only people, not because of anything in them, but because God has revealed it to us with a functional anthropology, and that's the only source of dignity for the human person. There's no reason why a fallen, depraved race should have, and by race in this case, I mean the human race, a people, why a fallen, depraved people should have any dignity at all, right? There's nothing dignified about that. Mm -hmm. So... When we talk about the restoration of dignity, we're talking about, you know, what happens to us in being born from above, in the new birth, in the second birth. The, it's, you're a new creature in Christ, and that's where all, you know, that's where you're fully realizing human dignity. So what I like 
is that the thesis is pretty clear from the beginning, right? Which is there was a there was a crisis of of dignity, of significance, of meaning, and of identity, and we as the church need to give the only source of comfort, the only balm of Gilead, as you referred to earlier, the only the only cure for those soul agonies. I mean, that's an agony of soul to lose significance, meaning, identity, culture, dignity. Dignity, dignity, dignity. Can you clarify a little bit? Um, you know, you kind of related dignity to the idea of being born again. Mm-hmm. Um, can a person who's not born again... How can, how can you restore or give them dignity? So my, my, proof, my proof for dignity for everyone is Genesis 1, 26 through 28. So hear now the word of the Lord. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So dominion over everything, over all of his creation. We're slave kings. We're vice regents, right? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And then it goes on to give the dominion mandate, the cultural mandate, a lot of people like to call it now. So that's for everybody because we're all, um, we were all descended from Adam, right? Mm-hmm. We're all from Adam and right. Eve. So what I was trying to clumsily talk about is we all have a dignity crisis in the fall. So when we right. get to Genesis 3, right, and we see the fall of man and we see the judgment of God on uh, the serpent and the judgment of God on not only the serpent, but Adam and Eve. Okay, well now, what happens to our dignity there? Um, but what this book is doing is uh, making a good case for a more particularized, a more contextualized crisis of dignity, in addition to what we all share, which is right. this fallenness. So this crisis that they unpack is this idea that black people, especially in America with the history of slavery and whatnot, um, are looked at as not fully valuable, you know, not as valuable as a, a lighter skinned person. Um, there's some there's some really poignant pictures that they paint with some real life examples. One of them was an example of a black and white uh, doll experiment um, where small young children were placed in a room with a table and a chair and two dolls, one black doll and one white doll. And these were black children and white children. And, you know, some 90% of the children would spend all of their time interacting solely with the white doll. And, you know, what this tells people is they see whiteness as more valuable, right? And... You know, even children see it because there's something around them in the in the culture that they're brought up in that kind of is, you know, teaching them that. And that was heartbreaking when I read that. And, you know, I talked about it with my, you know, eight-year-old daughter and just had an important conversation about the value of people having nothing to do with our skin color. It has absolutely nothing to do because like chapter one is trying to say, it needs to go back to the garden, to the creation of man, you know, male and female in God's image. And God created us, you know, all different color skin. You know, we're all basically melanin, but we have different 
amounts of it in different shades. But that in no means changes our inherent dignity and value and worth because that comes from God himself. Um, as Psalm you know, 139, the psalmist declares, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the psalmist there is finding his self-value in God's value of him. And I think whenever we're having this conversation with people, it needs to start with God's value of you, of people, simply because you are created by him and in his image. Yeah, so European supremacy destroys black dignity, and then you're given all of these counterfeit, uh, poisonous remedies, pseudo-cure, pseudo-remedies, right? All of this comes in, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard, and all these false sources of dignity are brought in. And what you want to see yeah. every time is, no, your dignity is rooted, as we talked about, in creation and in recreation yeah. in the sense of salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this book does a good job of advocating for whatever experience the person you're having this dialogue with has had countering those false sources of dignity, those fake ones, right. and giving them the real, which is obviously the Bible and Christ himself and what he's what he's done for us. Right. And what these uh, black racial identity cults, BRIC, BRICS for short, what they've done is they've they've come in and exploited this area of true hurt and true pain and there's a lack of dignity and so these cults come in and they say, "Hey, we're going to speak to this area of of low, you know, self-worth, self-esteem and low dignity." And we are going to reinvent, create a new narrative out of the scriptures and try to recreate this false sense of dignity by telling them that they are, you know, the true chosen people of God simply because of their skin color. And so they exploit them um, and lead them down, you know, road of destruction. Whereas we as Christians need to be coming in there. That should break our hearts. We should come in there with the truth of the gospel from Genesis 1, show them where their true dignity comes from, and then bring them, you know, uh, through the gospel. So we have some music coming in, which means we are up against a break. And so hang with us, and we will be back after these short messages. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. You might be surprised to know that Jesus never used the word grace. Hello, I'm Chuck Swindoll. 
Jesus certainly never used the word grace as a sermon title or wrote an essay about it. He just lived it. And actually, the Bible never gives us a definition of grace, though it's full of it. Scene after scene in the scriptures illustrates grace. Grace goes back to an old Hebrew term that means to bend or stoop. Perhaps the best way to describe grace is with the idea of condescending favor. Condescending, bending down. God did that. He bent down to bestow grace. How I love that word. Pastor and teacher Chuck Swindoll. Visit Insight for Living's website at insight.org. Hi, ladies. Welcome to Open My Eyes. I'm Lori Wilburn. Do you start a project using a vision board? Do you gather motivation by visualizing a situation to achieve success? Life has thrown us some painful curves in the last 12 months, and maybe our plans got hijacked. I love what Psalm 4610 says, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. In the previous verses, we see a vivid description of an earthquake so big that the mountains get swallowed up by the sea. The psalmist is trying to show us that even in the worst disaster, God is sufficient as our refuge and strength. Ladies, when life is upended, it is only the sovereign God as our refuge who will hide us securely in the fiercest troubles of life. To learn more, visit my blog at corechurchla.org. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. All right, welcome back to the second half of the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher. I'm your host. I'm in studio with Daniel Adrian. We are talking tonight about Urban Apologetics, a book review. Urban Apologetics was written by Pastor Eric Mason of Epiphany Church in Philadelphia, and the subtitle is Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. So we are trying to unpack that book for you a little bit tonight. We do recommend it. It is a good read. It is uh, for any apologist wanting to reach people more effectively, especially people from the black community more effectively with the gospel. I believe this is a great book. Um, It's not a perfect book. You know, no book really is, um, but it's worthwhile. I think you'll learn some valuable information. And so we've just been walking through chapter one. I think there's 14 more chapters. Uh, We only have a half an hour (laughs) (laughs) left of the show, so we're probably not going to get through all of it. Uh, But if you do have questions about any of the content that we've discussed thus far, or you just want to talk about this idea of urban apologetics, uh, please uh, feel free to give us a call. You can reach us at 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. Chapter 2 is All White Everything, written by Pastor... Jerome Gay, and um, the idea in this chapter, you want to summarize it, Daniel? Sure. Uh, He does a good job of covering the fact that in the black community particularly, but elsewhere as well, you have a white Bible full of white people. Uh, So the, the blackness that's clearly there, the darker skin tones that are clearly in the scripture are whitewashed out. You have white Jesus in the black community, images of white Jesus, and then 
all of the better the theologian, the the more they either ignore his, and this is very sinister, they either ignore his origin, downplay it, or they Europeanize him. They white they whitewash him. And so uh, we were talking yeah. about why this is a huge deal is it's, you know, it's a lie, right? We know who the father sure. of lies is. So we, we have to combat, combat these things. Uh, and then it's particularly an agony of soul for a member of the black community because you have no representation. You don't see yourself in the scriptures. You don't see yourself in church history. You don't see yourself in the halls of great theologians. Mm-hmm. So it's like, wait, 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 wait. You, then you become susceptible to one of the number one attacks of the bricks of the black religious identity cults, which is it's Christianity is a white man's religion. Mm-hmm. Well, because we just talked about if it's all whitewashed, right. it looks white. Right. But yeah. we, we know that we know that Cush, uh, we know that Ethiopia, which was expansive. It's like almost everything south of Egypt, it feels like huge kingdom. We know that was a Christian kingdom, one of the earliest. Um, those people are Ethiopian. Uh, I don't think I don't think we have a good argument that they were not uh, that they were not black. Mm-hmm. Uh, how we use that American style um, in terms of color and pigmentation and so forth. Hue uh, Assyrians were believed to be darker. Uh, talked about Kush, not quite the same thing as Ethiopia, even bigger. And then we know from the Bible, one, the reference to black that I can find is in Song of Solomon, and it's a positive adjective. And then Cyrene and Alexandria, mm-hmm. uh, darker-skinned folk, seem to blend in pretty well there, mm-hmm. biblically. Right. So we've got black people in the Bible, most importantly. So just based on the historical context of, yeah. and the areas and geographies. And, it doesn't yeah. say they're black, like so it's, it's not a perfect right. The argument. Bible's not too concerned with skin color. Yeah. Right. It doesn't really talk. Yeah, exactly. Um, we are. We yeah. seem to be. We <laughs> Some seem of to us, be. yeah, especially. Uh, yeah. We need to go back to be a little bit more like Christ and, you know, just look at people as image bearers of God, you know, of all different beautiful sizes, shapes, colors, you know, so on, so and, forth. And then when you know you when you know a lot of orthodoxy in the early church is coming out of North Africa— we would also not consider those people to probably be looking European in terms of pigmentation. Right. Just wanted to throw out our number once again. We do have some open lines. You can reach us if you want to comment on the show. We're talking about urban apologetics, uh, restoring black dignity with the gospel. Uh, our, our number is 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. And we want to go over to Elaine calling in and wanted to comment on our subject. Elaine, you're on the air with Apologetics.com. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Great. Um, I was listening to your topic tonight, and I have a comment about that. Yeah. Um, some of your comments that are made are things that I've heard for many years, and mm-hmm. what's been passed down is secondhand information. For instance, the, the situation with the doll uh, and the children, the black children and the white children. What people forget to say is that the dolls that the children were playing with were not the dolls that each race of people play with on a regular basis. So when the blacks entered in these rooms and they have these little white dolls with the blonde hair, they'd never see it. So they were attracted to something totally different as opposed to what they would play with at home. In some communities, mm. you had people that didn't, couldn't afford to buy dolls like that. 
So therefore, their dolls were made out of cloth dolls. They call them little baby dolls. So that is not the whole truth in that situation. They weren't the same dolls, the same as it is now. Education in a, a black community with low income is not the same. Books and the same teaching is taught in the Beverly Hills School. So you're going to have some differences there, and you're putting emphasis on those people, which are black, and I am. I grew up in the South, and I'm going to go through Southern, uh, what I would say, things that disgrace they don't want to talk about. Right. Because when I was in, in a child in, in the South, we would walk past the white church to go to an all-black church right. because the white people would not allow us in to worship with them because we were black. Yeah. So, therefore, you're going to have some differences. And now this person is coming up saying, these people, we are uh, different, have a different gospel. That's not true because what they did is they carved out these personalities that are, you know, of these other cults, sure, and say this is the average. That's not the norm. And that's what I'm saying. That is not the norm. I think what you should do is attend some of the black churches. You can't now, but... um, You'll be surprised what the Lord do, you know, in terms of the heart of people and the spirit of people. Mm-hmm. Because, well, you know, I mean, Elaine, I want to make I, sure I, I want to make sure very that we're very clear. I'm not saying that the the black church is riddled with black religious identity cults. I'm actually saying that those black religious identity cults constitute an attack upon the black church. They're actually trying to take no. members out of the black church. They're attacking Christianity yeah. as a white man's religion. I'm not saying that's—I'm I'm definitely not trying to say that that's something common to black religious experience in Christian churches. So I, I definitely didn't want to give you the wrong impression there. So I want to make sure we're clear on that. Yeah, yes, but, but I don't—I think you're wrong there because I don't think it's so much that they try to come in and take Christians out of the church. That is not the case. What happens is in the later generation where children don't have as much religious education as they did when, when I was a child, they're easily influenced because of television and activities that we didn't have in that time. All we had was Jesus. We didn't have anything else. So you, you, when you speak in these subjects, I think you need to get to the root instead of calling people those people because those people are Christian and they love the Lord like you love the Lord. Well, and but the, they, those you know, those. The part two of the whole part two of the book is dealing explicitly with those black religious identity cults plus but you're saying, listen, black atheism. Listen, listen, don't refer to it as those people. Okay? I know it's in your book, I understand that. But when you say I'm a Christian and you say those people, you put me in another in another category. These are people you normally would not have at your Sunday dinner. Because we're those people. You don't identify people like that. They're Christians. And one thing I would say this, and I'm going to let it go. One thing we have to be careful of before we start repeating what somebody say about another race of people and who love the Lord and who don't, and, and the devil is coming in and taking over God's people. That is not true. That's a faith. Okay. But the one thing you have to understand is that we are brothers and sisters, and we should be identified as brothers and sisters. If there is a deficiency, it is wrong to get on the air and say those people, as though there is something wrong, which is, because you're, thinking, you're making generalized statements. 
No, no, I, I appreciate, I, I definitely appreciate what you're saying, and we don't want to, we don't want to use language of marginalization, right? We, we're not trying to use exclusionary language, saying black people are over here as a different group, as outside of the human family. That was the point in saying all people's inherent dignity is rooted in descent from Adam and Eve. So we, we definitely do. It's good to be very careful about that because we don't want to give the indication that black people are not as co-equal with us as uh, as vice regents, as as literal uh, under prophets, under priests and under kings, under the true prophet, priest and king, our Lord Jesus Christ, who's all of our ancestor. He's all of our elder brother. Um, and then I thought your points about the uh, the study were really good. And I would just what the point that we were trying to get at with I think we were trying to get out with that. Jason can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, Elaine, when we're talking about that, I know personally of two families where a young child, a young black child said that they wanted to be white. So they told their parents they want to be white. And that's the point we're getting at. That's that shouldn't happen. Those children should not tell their parents, I want to be white. Sir, I disagree with you there. Because if you if that's mostly what you see, and and you, me, myself, and be referred to as those part of those people, then the word, how you use that word, says that there is something totally different, a better. You, you're rating that, and all I'm saying is what we should. I think this is my personal opinion, and I studied the Bible. I studied at Church of the Open Door when Dr. McGee was there. Nice. So what I'm saying is is that be careful of how you identify people as those people they because we are brothers and sisters in Christ and when we get to heaven God I don't know where in the Bible where, where we're you know used as the term is used as those people I do know that uh, Moses married a black woman and they didn't receive and refer to them as that girl yeah they I don't like it I don't know have we been using that term is that what you're saying Elaine are we using you're those using people that term over and over and each time you say those people you are speaking to us in a way I mean just take it and listen to what you're saying yeah I, I haven't I'd have to re-listen to it but in no in no way are we trying to refer to people with different skin color as some sort of different type of person like those people um, in any way, shape, or form. So I, you know, I just categorically reject that. You know, I just want to make that clear. You know, from the outset, you know, we are we are one blood, one race. You know, created by God. You know, one in Christ um, for all believers. So. But you didn't hear yourself saying those people. No, but I will. I will re-listen to that. Did you hear that phrase? Those. Um, yeah. No, I never. Okay. Okay, Never now let me say this. Would say that. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. The thing with that is when you start identifying people as being under this or less than that or don't have or don't meet up to your standards, what happens is you don't know at the end who's going to get saved and who's going to be in, in heaven right. as your brothers and sisters. That's why we have to be yeah. careful about how we talk about people, how we identify right. people. Well, yeah, because, and Elena. Because we uh, don't know who God is has chosen before the foundation True. of the world. So I think that when you speak of people, if you're speaking of a black deficiency, I think you should put it in its proper perspective because we are no less than bringing up comments about, you know, we our children want to be white. 
That's not all well, children. That's some children. Yeah, that's some children. Yeah, no, I agree. But that's not a good example. That's a, that's, that's, that's one point, and that with salvation. That that's was a point saying. bringing the author of this book, Dr. Eric Mason. Actually, that example comes from this book written by him, and that's but his it son. Make it, right. it doesn't make it right. It's just one that's example that he that, that he uses. You should study it in its context of how it's going to be taken by an audience. Sure. Those people and those black people that you're talking about. It's a very small part of our yeah. community. I can tell you that. Right. So that was written by Dr. Eric Mason. It was his son who was drawing but pictures. You're carrying it over. It's no, just we're just we're just putting it as an example in this book because it's a it's a review of the book. You're teaching something that's not. You're teaching something that really doesn't identify with the black community. Right. So what because all we're teaching? What I don't understand in teaching this subject, and, and you can help me with this, is. Why are they taking blacks and saying that, you know, we are so in a deficiency that we have something, something, wrong, something wrong in our belief about God and Christianity and don't study? I think you'd be surprised how many blacks that I know, especially in my age group, that study the word of God. And, and you would think, you know, they got a degree in theology yeah. because, they, because that's all we have. I, I would agree 100% with you. There is a huge, I mean, this book even talks about it, probably 80-plus percent in general of, of the black community has a strong, you know, uh, background, upbringing in, you know, Christ, in Christianity. But one of, this, one of the things this book highlights is the millennial generation, the current generation, as you kind of alluded to earlier, has, has drifted from that through TV through you know culture and education and all of that and then and that's what part of the the focus of this particular book is trying to get at saying listen the church needs to rise up and get back to teaching fundamental theology doctrine the person of Christ the trinity the inerrancy of the bible and all of these things need to be you know in the pulpits you know in sermons so that you know all people you know but they're speaking particularly to the black church so that these generations coming up can be equipped with the truth and they cannot be um um like drawn astray through you know culture and through the popular things around them and so i think the you books know? the books in total agreement i think with what you're saying um i'm sorry if some of our language i don't know we may, we might have misspoke um or you, you know what you heard, but I think we're in large agreement. You know, we we are trying to uphold the dignity of all people, and uh, you know, if there's one example given by this author, his son, his 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 small you know six year old son was drawing a picture of of white superheroes, and he told his dad, "I I wish I had white skin," and his and his dad used that as an example in this book, and. You know, saying, "Son, you need to. You shouldn't feel that way. You should be. You should see your skin color as given to you by God, and because God created you, it's it's perfect just the way it is. You know, and that's kind of the, you know, the well, story me, that they're trying to convey. I'm not going to hold you because I know that it's your show, but I'm going to say this: the comment that you made about that is really not necessary. It really isn't necessary because everybody's heard that same story. I heard it when I was a child." I, I can't tell you how many years I've heard it. And when my mother showed me the truth about that is 
they didn't give them all the same dolls to play with at Christmas through the time, you know, whatever period of time they played together in this room. They, they were playing with dolls that was totally different. It wasn't so much that was yeah. color of the doll as that doll had more, had more of everything, had beautiful clothes, that all discussed with some of the, the blacks. Their dolls wasn't the same. So they pulled the new job, dolls. They went to new stuff. And people took it as though their identity was that it was a white doll. Uh-huh. But they took, they took it as though that's what they believed. They wanted to be yeah. black. Now, let me give you something that, that you know, might not sound like you. But I see kids. I hear children. I work in school also. They, the whites, want to dance like the blacks. But, sure. you know, that's not, to me, okay, that's, if you're not called to do that, maybe you can learn to do what you can. Mm-hmm. But that's not offensive. But you say, you know, the whites, the blacks want to be white. That is not always the truth. That's all I'm saying. If sure. you're going to make a statement like that, don't make it so general that this yeah. is the truth. And that, that is not, you're not winning so much and you're, telling people somebody want to be your point, somebody want to be white. Your point, that's a great point, and it's well, it's well taken and well received. And what you're doing, you're not necessarily critiquing, you're critiquing this book. Because what that example came from this book, and it was part of this book's argument as to why black dignity is suffering and it needs to be restored. And what you're what you're bringing up is a valid critique of the point that this author makes. I, yeah, I don't with I'm, that I'm doll. Big, I'm not a big um, fan of the doll test either. Test. I think Elaine. So we that's we appreciate that. That's yes. kind of why we encourage people to call in. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we always appreciate when you call in. And I think we're in agreement that. What we're trying to get at, what we're trying to say, whether we're saying it with the best words or not, is what the doctrine in Revelation 7, 9 teaches, which is, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Right? That's, but, but, but see, that's, that's the wave we're on, right? But if you hear what you're saying, he talks about the multitude in that the goodness of the Lord. You know, I, I read in Exodus, I can't think of that, I think it's 32 or something, where when God proclaimed to Moses, he said, he said, I proclaim, he said it twice. And he talked about his mercy and his gracious, gracious, his long suffering. That's but we want to hear. We don't want to hear those people. We want to hear what did God say. So you think God's a, a, in the big picture, not the color of the skin or where they live or say this or that. And, and I think that's very important, especially when people start witnessing. Because so, so would you also I object really to us doing thinking. a show about reaching men? Because a, a man is not, you know, not everyone's men. So there are men and women. So if we do a show about the church reaching out to men, men, would that bother you as well? If we read a book no, about the church man, church outreach to men. I'm speaking of man as mankind. No, no, no. I'm saying so if I'm if saying if this show, because it seems... The only thing I'm saying is this. I'm going to say this. I, I promise you I'm going to get out. Just when you witness or when you say things, especially on the radio, at this time in our lives, we've never seen the pandemic that we've passed passing us. And people have had many problems, death, 
they're already depressed. So when they come on to the show and they're thinking about those people and the, their dignity, the lack of this and the lack of that, that is not a general statement for the black community. Now, I don't know what black people, where this man found the two, three black people he found, but everything you read is not factual. And I think that you need to study it to see how does it really sound when you put this out and everybody's depressed and people, you know, more suicide, more illness, more all this with something about Elaine I pray that you are right I pray that there is not a widespread crisis of black dignity I really do I I really pray that that's that's factual that that's the accurate read Um, I would just just encourage you just as we're going to listen to this to see how we could improve how we could have spoken better I would encourage you to re-listen to this episode as charitably as you can because I'd love for you to reconnect with us and tell us how it sounded on a second listen through would you be willing to do that yeah, I, I, I try to listen every Friday. Okay. I can't guarantee, but I will make an effort to listen to it. And I'm not calling because I'm angry or anything like that. I'm oh, yeah, no, we know. No, we love your Yeah, calls. no, we appreciate it. Want, it's good. My only thing right now at this particular time is that when we are witnessing to people, be very careful because everybody is on, not everybody, but many people are on the edge of life. They're struggling just to... And it's not financially, usually financial struggles, it's just the emotion. And and one of the problems that we have is the mind. The mind is no longer covered in Romans 12, 2. You know, being conforming to the Word of God. Don't put emphasis on the, so much on the negative and how people think lower of you or think lesser of you. Or we got to bring you up to our level. You know, people need to hear something that God is doing now. We don't hear a lot of what God is doing. We hear a lot of stuff about everything but God, Jesus Christ. They don't even want to say Jesus Christ. They say, well, I'm saved and I'm God and I'm doing this. That's fine. But you got to know, you got to bring Jesus' name in there and make mm-hmm. him the star of your show. Not no black man, not no writer. And at this particular time, I think that's very important in the Christian community. Because Amen. if we don't hear about Jesus, I watch the news one day, and I watched two news sessions back to back. I had to turn the TV off because it was all negative. And I thought, oh, yeah. gosh, yeah. if I didn't have the mind of Christ in me, I would be a nervous wreck. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's true. Sit there and watch it. So that's what I'm saying. Don't start. Don't put labels on on people. If anything, tell you, tell them how Jesus brought them through. That's what it is in the black people. Yeah. You ask them, they'll tell you how Jesus brought And I think they'll tell you how the, their brother, their sister, not their sister, but yeah. their brothers were hung on trees, mm-hmm. and how from generation to generation to generation they have been mentally, mentally secured, revived because of Jesus. Yeah. God's so faithfulness to his people is staggering. It's about what Jesus has done for us. That's all I'm saying. You know, don't. Don't criticize nobody. Not in this day and age. Yeah. Amen. People are fragile, you know? We appreciate that. Romans 12, 2. Thanks, Elaine. Thank you, Elaine. 12, verse 2. And you see, Amen. instead of renewing in your mind, and that's what's wrong with everybody, so they, not everybody, people, so they're mentally ill. No, their minds need to be restored and, right. and, and taught things that will keep them to keep their minds on Christ. We're going to have to cut you off there, Elaine. Sorry about that. But uh, we appreciate the call and the, the wonderful comments and conversation. 
Uh, please call back again uh, next week. Um, we did. I did just want to comment before we before we uh, run out of time here. Um, you know, a lot of what Elaine said was great. I think I think we're really on the same page. We don't. You know, this whole show is is. You know, it's it's our culture. It's it's the culture that we live in that is labeled people, right? Um, this whole black white kind of thing. Um, you don't find that in scripture. You know, you don't find God defining people by the color of their skin ever. You know, um, He does recognize people from nations, different nations, different places, different regions. Um, absolutely, but color is not an emphasis in God's economy. And neither should it be in our economy, you know. Um, you know, I have these conversations with my children. They understand it, you know, um, a lot easier than us adults sometimes. And so we just want to echo, I think, that sentiment that Elaine was, um, you know, getting out there. Yeah, and it's it's just the point of bringing Christ to a context. So we're talking about bringing Christ to a particular context. That's that was what I was driving at when I talked about if we were to re, if we were to go through a book, you know, apologetics to men, right? Men apologetics. Right. Yeah, she seemed to be objecting that we're like singling out this group and trying to you know, reach them. Well, and you as know, we were and, as we were discussing, I hope this book actually spawns an entire apologetical yeah. library, where I have a reference work a, a reference work for as many contexts as people want to write books about. Amen. So, Urban Apologetics, a book review. Um, we encourage you guys to get this book, read through it, sift through it, open your Bible, and assess it through the lens of scripture and I think you'll find a lot of good content that'll help you navigate bringing Christ to the black community which um, all of us should be doing we should be bringing the gospel to every person every neighbor you know wherever we go Um, so we hope that you're doing that and we hope that we've uh, helped you in that endeavor a little bit and uh, thanks for tuning in And this is Jason Gallagher signing off and saying keep the faith.